Welcome to the Sons of Technology Clubhouse. Ditch your fear at the door, take a risk, and enjoy the ride with your hosts, Joe Marquez and Kyle Anderson. Welcome, everybody, to the Sons of Technology podcast, and welcome to the Sons of Technology Clubhouse. We have a a huge amount of educators here around our table, and we're just going to talk to you about our equity trilogy. We are closing it out today with the topic of one-to-one rollouts, one-to-one programs, and how can these programs really hit the equity mark, not just the equality mark. So I am Joe Marquez. I'm going to be one of your hosts today. I am an educator, eighth grade science teacher, instructional technology TOSA, and I am also a uh, TOSA for the entire West Coast of the United States. So Kyle, I'd like to throw it on over to you. Oh, this is Kyle Anderson. I am a special education teacher in Carson City, Nevada, and I'm looking forward to hearing from everybody else we got here today, because like you said, we've got a whole mess of people here, so... Hey Zeus, how about you? Uh, Jesus Huerta, fifth grade teacher, um, El Centro, California, so a little bit east of uh, San Diego on the desert. Um, yes, it was really hot. Now it's windy and cold. Kind of weird out here right now. So, David, how about yourself? All right, hey, this is David Platt from uh, Glendora, California. I teach at Covina High School. Uh, and I am a computer science and EL teacher. And Corey? Uh, my name's Corey Coble. I teach seventh grade science and Project Lead the Way outside Sacramento in Roseville, California. And for the first time joining us, Ben. Welcome, welcome. All right, crashing the party here. Uh, I am Coach Ben. Uh, currently, I teach kindergarten in Salinas, California, the salad bowl capital of the world. I am a uh, recovering TOSA, and I am excited to hang out with you guys today. And, and Ben, you know, I've been wanting to get over and, and see your class of kindergartners for a while now, so I'm going to have to try and make that happen because a kindergarten room is a magical place, and the pictures that you post of those amazing things that you do, it just kind of makes the hair on my arms stand up. So I'm going to have to tri- figure out a time to go down there and, and kind of be a fly on the wall for that amazing experience. Hey, it's it's always an open invite. Some days are crazier than others, but, you know, you just got to ride the wave. Hey, the crazier the better. I love I love those kids. And, and, you know, it's one of those things where I've heard people say, oh, kindergarten, that's like an easy job. And I'm like, no, <laughs> nope. you're starting from scratch. You they got good no idea. for the place. Yeah, they I have go, no God, idea. God bless those kindergarten teachers because, man, there, there's there's things that people don't even know about it. So, you know, I, my, my hat goes off to you, Ben. That's an amazing, amazing position you have, and I, I'm, I'm completely jealous because those kids look amazing. Well, thank you. Um, and so we want to really, you know, just kind of have a roundtable discussion on, on one-to-one rollouts. And, and you know, there's a, there's a huge uh, uh, swath of uh, ideas when it comes to this, so we're going to kind of just touch on a few of them. One is... You know, how would how do you see a, a successful one to rollout taking place? Do you see a successful one to one rollout happen where you, you do it in batches? Like you start in like a seventh or eighth grade, and then once those go through, then you go to ninth and tenth, and then eleventh and twelfth. Do you see it uh, more staggered, where you have some in fourth and sixth and eighth, or do you think just going all in at the very beginning? with these devices in all grades 
uh, it, it would, would benefit the students. So I want to open it up to the group. Um, what, what are your guys' thoughts on these one-to-one -one rollouts? Well, I really think that um, just personal opinion that doing it all at once with all students in a single school or all grades in a district or something like that, I just, I don't see that being very successful. And the reason why is because pretty much everybody's starting fresh at that point where you've got pretty much everybody with the, with the exception of a handful of people that are the, the advanced technology type people or whatever, you're going to be having to train everybody all at once. Whereas if you're staggering it out with a couple grades levels at a time, or say, you know, a quarter of the students in the school, whatever it may be, what you can do then is you get a group of teachers used to it. You get a group of students used to it over the course of a year or so. You roll out the next stage after that. And then now you've got a crop of people that they went through the growing pains at that point. And now they can help out this next crop of people coming through with the growing pains that they're going to have. And then eventually you get it rolled out to everybody else. And you, I, I just feel that it'd be more successful by doing the staggered one versus just throwing it all out to everybody all at once. Now, do I have the answer exactly how to stagger that? No, but that's why I'm interested to hear what others have to say. Well, well I I think, go, go ahead, Ben. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking K through six here, but I, I completely agree with you, Kyle. Um, I, I mean, honestly, I felt like we had a really good model in, in our district. We we started with one school, but uh, that was everybody. So it's a little different. We, everybody in that school was buy, bought in for technology, and we really just wanted to see how it worked. And from there, for the rest of the district, we had a, a staggered system. Now, one of the problems we had is we let schools choose grade levels. We really should have just staggered it and said, you know, maybe fifth and sixth, then fourth and, and you know, fourth and third, and then go down from there. But I really think because uh, the the one thing is that PD, right? And how do you train? How do you train a whole system, right? Versus just training groups of people and building that expertise. So you know, Kyle, I'm with you. I think the staggered rollout, especially in K through sixes, is uh, where to go. Um, so that there's my two cents, David. Tossing it over to you, buddy. I know you had something to add. All right. Well, I've seen kind of a couple. I've seen a couple different things go on in my district, and they've done. They started with a staggered model. They started actually back in 2013 with iPads, doing a, uh, an iPad rollout, and their uh, a goal was to do a one-to-one -one there, um, and then they they shifted that to Chromebooks. But when they started with the iPads, they did it uh, staggered, and they did a whole lot of PD with um, specific groups of teachers at each site so that you had a kindergarten, you had a third grade, you had a, a fifth grade teacher, you had middle school, and you had a couple high school teachers all going through this PD um, for, uh, for doing one-to-one, -one, and that made it a little bit easier to do the one-to-one -one rollout um, because then you had those groups of teachers who could help, um, uh, help the other teachers when they got their devices. Now, the amount of PD that the initial groups got, I think, was probably a little bit more investment than the um, other other groups got later on. Later on, however, uh, the, that that one to one rollout has has worked for us, um, and this included this included doing things with our teachers as well as going through uh, Google certified. Uh, level one training uh, across the district and trying to get a lot of our teachers uh, certified so that when those one-to-one uh, -one devices came out, um, then teachers felt a little bit more prepared uh, with the depth and uh, and scope of things that they could do with, with G Suite. 
And, you know, going back to kind of what Ben said, that, that staggered model and then, and then kind of the growing pains that he, he, he heard about, um, you know, because I, I do see a lot of schools that, that do go one-to-one -one and then they do that staggered model, but they do exactly what Ben said is they give the school a choice, right? They give the school a choice of, hey, you know what, we, we know this is going to be something different, so, so, so for you to have a little bit more buy-in, we're going to let you choose what grade level to do, or in some districts, Right, you know, they're they're they they give them choice of well, we'll let you choose if you want to do uh, a Google ecosystem or a Microsoft ecosystem within the same school. So, how do you guys feel about that in a one-to-one -one rollout? You know, when when you have this idea of giving the school choice so that buy-in happens a little bit quicker, but you have so many different things happening that you don't have this consistent model across. Do you think that's beneficial to give schools that choice of? what ecosystem to use that works best for the teacher or do you think it should be across the board hey look for the benefit of our kids we're going to do uh, an entire our entire ecosystem for the district is going to be google or the entire ecosystem of our district is going to be microsoft do, do you see a benefit in that or do you see a benefit in the choice i think I, uh, uh, go ahead, i mean it goes back to what we are trying to teach students you know you should have the choice of how you present how you tell me you know how you show what you know um I think having options makes it easier for some teachers. They might say, you know what? I use Android all the time. You want me to jump into a Mac? Um, I think the way you guys explained everything, I think it really is home how it should be done. Um, just throwing that out there and say, hey, everybody gets Chromebooks. All right, we spent the money. Do something with it. I think doing that is kind of setting them up for failure for some teachers because they're not going to be comfortable. They've never probably used, you know, any of the, the, the educational tools out there and they're going to go and stress out. Um, giving them options, easing them into it. I think that's the best thing to do. And it's, it's kind of how we teach kids. You know what? Here's some options. Let me ease you into this. You're not used to it. Some are going to be advanced. So, okay, go ahead. And same thing. Some teachers are more advanced. Here, here's some Chromebooks. Oh, you're doing all that stuff. Awesome. Maybe <clears throat> show how to get into that also um you're not used to it okay you know let's walk you through it let's get you there but yeah i i think having more options is, is perfect because when we just you know put those blinders on and just walk straight like that then some teachers are going to say okay i hate this because this is not what i'm used to and i don't want it yeah i agree 100 percent because i mean we saw that when our district went from microsoft outlook and over the summer, without notice, pretty much for the teacher, we got back and we're like, oh, hey, by the way, you're going to be doing uh, Gmail. And, you know, figure it out. That's just not the way to do things. And I think the same with, with students, too. If you're going to give them some options and uh, you know, stuff like that in your classroom, let's do that same thing for the teachers. I think the hard part is uh, the training. Um, is if you say we're doing the Google Suites, um, and some of the teachers are going to be like, nope, that's different than what I'm used to. I have my plans. I'm ready to go with what I know for the year. Um, I, I think that's going to be kind of a tough day. I've been to several PDs where I've been presenting, and the teacher's like, I don't even have a cart. Uh, we're sharing with you know two other teachers, so I really can't do any of this. And I got that for years. And then we finally went one-to-one -one, um, in the upper grades. And... Uh, but I still get that, you know, in the lower grades, third through fourth, they share a cart. And it's like, it's hard to do a PD, really good PD, and get them motivated and excited uh, with these teachers of all these cool things that I'm doing in the classroom because I have my own cart. And then they're going, well, 
big deal. I don't have one. I had to share it with the person who basically keeps it the entire time. I mean, I, I, I think I agree, and I think I, I disagree a little bit, just because I, I agree with you, Corey, as far as, you know, so I think sometimes the choice is good, but the training, when it comes to the training, man, it can be a, it can be a huge issue. You know, I think sometimes, like, no matter what you give a teacher, they may not use the device. So, um, you know, if, like, oh, I want Microsoft, you give them Microsoft, and they don't use it, they don't use it. Um, I think the other thing for me is thinking about, like, that consistency is, 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 again, maybe it's not an issue for the older kids, but I see these younger kids and, and just having to retrain the, retrain them on a particular tool, right? They get used to using one tool, and then they go to the next one, and they're, and they're having to relearn that. And when you get these kids that are already behind in reading and already behind in math, you know, you got to have all that classroom time. And so I definitely, for me, I see some benefits um, with, the, uh, with the consistency. It's definitely benefited our district with the training as far as the matriculation of kids. I definitely could see an argument for the high, some of the high school, you know, because they need to have the different skills. They need to have the different operating systems. They need to be flexible with technology. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm all about choice, and maybe choice is not as much in, in the device and maybe the, the system, but maybe what, what they're doing with the device, um, I think, is where you can get a lot of choice. No, Ben, I, I, think, you know, I agree. I, oh, go ahead, David. I was going to say, Ben, that's, that's actually a really powerful thing is what they can actually – do with the device in um, in studying necessarily the device themselves. You know, in my in my district, we were um, we were getting everybody all the all of our teachers going through G Suite Level One training, right? So um, we did that, and teachers were really uh, got really comfortable with Google. And then uh, later on, they introduced um, they started wanting to move into doing Office. Office uh, Office 365, and then a lot of our teachers said, "Really, why? Why do we need to do this? We just did Google. Why do I need to learn another system?" Um, and what uh, ended up, there hasn't been too much PD yet developed for for doing Office 365, but they did give our teachers a choice on whether or not they want to use Office 365 compared to to G Suite or use a combination of the two um, and you know the teachers have a choice then what they can do and they've been able to you know make uh, make uh, OneNote and, and tools like that actually work for them uh, in the classroom and for their students well and I'm yeah. working I'm working in a school right now where we have both G Suite and Microsoft Office 365 and what I'm experiencing with it is that You've got a handful of people that love the Google stuff. You got a handful of the people that love the Microsoft stuff. And it, it really ends up being almost like kind of a lost in translation sometimes where you receive an email from somebody that has a Microsoft Word attachment. But, you know, I can't tell you the last time I opened up Microsoft Word because I'm a Google guy, you know, but then what I have to do then is that I have to then open that up. And then in order for me to work with it more effectively, I feel more comfortable opening up in G Suite. So I'm more of the advocate for pick one of them and go with it. And, you know, you're never going to please everybody when it comes to this. So if you're, it, I mean, Microsoft's the one that's been around for decades. So, and, you know, and Google's kind of the new kid in the block. But at the same time, though, I personally think that Google is light years ahead of Microsoft and they're the ones playing catch up. So if you go with the Google route, you're going to upset the people that are the diehard Microsoft people. 
and they're going to be the ones that are most likely going to be resistant to the changeover. On the other side of things, though, you've got some people that are fans of Google, but we're going to go Office 365. It's not too much of a transition because, I mean, the products are similar. There's just some intricacies, you know, and because it's been around for decades, people, most people are going to understand a little bit how to use the Microsoft stuff. But it really just, it, it comes down to, I think you just got to pick one of them and go with it. And for the consistency factor and for, like Ben was saying, with kids where you train them in one tool in your classroom, but then the teacher next door is using another tool, whatever that may be. And just kids already have so much on their plates as it is. Why should we have to confuse them even more by doing something like that? Hey, Kyle, I, I agree with you 100%, right? And, and Ben, same thing on your end. Because, you, you know, it, it's, it's like rip the bandit off. Make a choice. Because it's, it's you know, we, we always, and because we're educators, we, we, we always look at it through that edu educator, right? Like, well, this teacher's going to like Microsoft, and this teacher's going to like Google. But we have to look at it as what's going to be the best experience for the student, right? And not necessarily the ecosystem as the best experience. What I mean is moving from grade to grade, right? A, a bad experience is they get full into Google Classroom, full in to utilizing Google Docs. And then the next grade, they have to learn how to use OneNote and 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 OneDrive and, and all these different products. You get this, you know, this rug pulled out from underneath you. So you have to learn this new system. And then you move on to another grade and you're back to Google again. And so when you're creating this start and stop inconsistency in the lives of the kids. So we can't look at it as what is the teacher going to be most comfortable with. It's what's going to give the student the best experience throughout their entire career. And I'm not. I'm not going to argue Google's better than Microsoft right now. That's that's for another episode in our versus episode, right? But what I'm trying to say is, we we ha as educators, as administrators, when we have this idea of a one-to-one -one rollout, we have to look at it as what's going to be best for our kids, and what's going to be best is consistency across the board, and so they have to make a choice. Whether that choice is Microsoft or Google, that's going to be up to the district, but that choice has to be made and you have to stick with it. You know, otherwise you get these competing teachers, kind of like a Sharks versus Jets situation where my Google's this and my Microsoft's that. And then you start having these dueling PDs, like, oh, this is gonna be Microsoft night and this is gonna be Google night. And all the, it, it just becomes more difficult because you're trying to please more people. And so the only people we should be trying to please is our students. And you know, I know that's hard to say as an educator, but sometimes we just have to bear down like okay this is the new thing we're doing uh, as long as the administrators say you know what we're going to stick with this for a, a long period of time i'm down and i'm going at it yeah and I once that choice is I hear made oh i'm sorry us and from us as, as as trainers is that pd is key right pd is essential and and pd isn't just us talking to the teachers and training them on 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 the ecosystem and the cool tools and how you can use it in the classroom PD is trying to get teachers to use these devices in their classrooms, right? Well, I hear a lot of times that you have IT directors who, you know, jump through hoops to get these devices and finally get one-to-one -one in their district, and these computers are just sitting in the corner of the classroom. And so, I, you know, going on this idea of that Marie Kondo, right, we want to see, are, do these devices bring you joy? <laughs> we want the teachers to look at the device and be like, I want to use that. I know how I can use it to reach my kids. It's going to bring me joy. 
So could you imagine could putting out putting a huge pile of stuff in the middle of the room and then getting rid of the stuff that doesn't give you joy? Exactly. <laughs> and then hopefully the teachers don't throw the computers out first, right? As educators and tech coaches and, and those who run PD, how can we instill PD in a district model um, and then also instill PD as, as a joyous occasion so that they can bring joy to their classroom with these devices? Hmm. So I'd like to throw it out to the group. How can we do that? How can we successfully implement a PD model? What are the struggles of implementing a PD model? And how can we get teachers excited and bring joy back to the device usage in the classroom? Well, just before we kind of dive into that a little bit deeper, I, I just want to make the point that when we talk about getting devices and then starting to roll them out, whether it's an all-for-one or a staggered model or whatever, you almost, in my opinion, need to have a pre-rollout rollout where you take a year where you get them in the teacher's hands and just you have to get the teachers trained up in that first year before you do it with the students and too many districts in fact i would venture to guess that 98 percent of districts and schools they don't do that they just say here's the devices let's go and we'll figure it out as we go we'll figure it out as we go oftentimes just leads to failure and exactly why they're just sitting in the corner and we have to Marie Kondo throw them in the middle of the room and then the computers are like, we hate these things, why do we have them? And it's not yeah, that they fly, hate fly the devices. The plane as you build it, right? Right, it's not that they hate the devices. They hate the fact they don't know how to use the devices and had the, had the school or the district taken the time ahead of time just to instill a little bit of professional development into the program, th that would not be the case. They, I'm not saying that every teacher would be embracing them and, you know, we would have a, a world full of Alice Keelers and Matt Millers all of a sudden in every classroom. However, there'd be a lot more success with them if that time was taken to do so. You know, the only time a surprise is good for a teacher is on Christmas and their birthday. Right? And Valentine's that, Day, Valentine's Day. I think, okay. <laughs> I think one of the first, the first hurdle, honestly, and I, and I don't think this is like, I, I, I kind of hate to say this, but I think the first hurdle when it comes to training teachers is to pay or not to pay. Cause that's been a huge issue in our district. And if you're going to pay teachers, is it hourly or is it per diem? And un unfortunately, you know, it's like, it's that whole thing of teachers. We have this huge heart, but you know, at the end of the day, we got to go home and, and we have to make a living and, and that's, and I don't know how you deal with that. That's really affected our training and our PD. And, and we've had some big issues over that. And so for us, and, and I hate to say that's like the worst hurdle to have to jump over that hurdle of money, right? Because that's not what we're here for. But that's a big issue for us. Yeah, I agree. Uh, my district actually started a um, uh, professional learning institute. It's like after school, um, you get paid by the hour. Um, the trainer gets an extra hour of prep, you know, paid prep time. Uh, so I think that's a great way to get that, uh, you know, enthusiastic teachers to start the sparks in the different schools in your district, um, get a few teachers in there, show them some cool stuff and uh, let them go start a fire in their own uh, district too, or their own schools. Yeah. I mean, if they're not going to buy in, they're just going to sit there. <clears throat> I mean, not to bash on all teachers, but they're going to be on their cell phones. They'll probably be on Amazon shopping or entering grades. And I've seen it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've been to PDs and I look and they're with their, you know, their face, you know, in their hand, just like, okay, you know, this person's talking for an hour. I'm just sitting here listening. Um, well, you know, it's, it's one of those things though. Teachers don't know what they don't know. Right. I, I was, I was doing a training yesterday and, and, you know, I, I introduced myself. I was wearing the sons of technology leather jacket and everybody was coming up to me and, and I was talking to them, they're like, yeah, we're, we're Google experts for our district and this and that. And, they're, and it's basically they said, 
uh, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna, you're, it's gonna take a lot for you to impress us. That kind of thing. But they said it nicely. I'm like, okay. Yeah, and so I started showing them stuff. And they're like, we never knew that. We never knew that. We never knew. Like they're just like blown away, right? And and, it, and it's not because I'm saying that I know all this stuff. It's because you don't know what you don't know. And 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 that's the importance of PD is to it's it's to to show the teachers what they don't know and also show the teachers how it affects the kids in the classroom but ben is absolutely right the money is an issue time is an issue right you don't want to mandate the teachers to do pd but then not pay them right you don't want to mandate pd and then take away um something from them i i, I used to do pd for my district for free after I taught, after I taught all day long, after I coached my sport till five, I would do PD from six to eight at night, you know. And nobody in the district except a couple people in the tech department knew I was doing this. Nobody, and so and and the teachers that came in for it, right? And so when you know when when I was you know talking about hey you know I do all this PD to my to my area superintendent, they're like we didn't know that. It's like you know, it's one of those things where you want to help your teachers. But then you want to feel that it benefits, and then you want to be compensated for it. And so does anybody have an idea of, of how that can happen? Because because of that issue, because of the money issue, and because you don't want to step on teachers' toes, and you don't want to make them feel like they're not being, being utilized correctly, PD is one of the last things discussed when a Wonder One rollout starts happening. But it's also one of the first things cut when stuff doesn't start working. Well, what's like, PD? It's it's you're teaching, and you know Ben mentioned something. It's the it's what we want students to do. They they got to buy in. They got to be interested. And if the teacher goes, well, this is after my usual hours. We lost them, right? But they're like, well, I'm getting paid for it, so now they're in. If they come in like, oh yeah, I know how to use you know blank this thing to that I already use in my classroom that's mandated. You know this math tool. Okay, you know there's new teachers here, but why do I have to be here? I think they come in, like, Joe, you come in, you have your jacket on. People are like, wait, what's going on? Who's this guy? Why is he dressed up like this, you know? And you bust out something that they've never seen. You're almost sure they've never seen. And then you tell them, all right, here, what do you do with it? They're going to be like, okay, or get up, move, find a partner, somebody you don't know, or let me, you know, count you guys out, kind of like we do in class. But when they go and they just sit there and, okay, this guy's talking for like an hour, the lady's talking for an hour. And I didn't touch my computer to do anything new. It, it, I think it's the same thing in class. If we talk for like 30 minutes straight in class, what happens to the kids? Their eyes are glazed over. Now imagine an adult who has, kids are complicated, but and a teacher's complicated too. They, they're thinking about their family at home. Am I getting paid for this? I'm hungry. They didn't even bring snack. We yeah. got to get them comfortable. I'm not saying rub their feet, you know, give them massages. But <laughs> I'm saying we got to capture them like we capture students because we're tired. We had a long day. Some of us have kinder, you know, some of us have high school. Both of those are, you know, at the end, you know, beginning and end of, of the school career and they have their complications. And, you know, we got to get them in, show them something awesome and then say, you know what, more information to follow to follow up on that afterwards. After you've done all this cool stuff. All right. And. Same thing, break them out to small groups. Oh, you guys got it, great. Oh, you're not sure? You know, let me work with you, this little group over here, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. I, think I, the, I agree. Go ahead, Ben. Just real quick, I think the other the other challenge that, Jesus, you mentioned, um, is like that whole thing about passion. Because I don't know about you guys, this whole common course shift, you have so many different curriculum standards that are being thrown at teachers, right? 
And so then you say, here's technology and teachers are like, it's just, it's just one more thing. Right. And so you're having to kind of, you're really having to get them excited about it and get them to value it. And cause that's another issue. If they don't, if they're not valuing it, do they go to the PD? Yep. I, mean, yes, I agree. Uh, Corey, just one thing, because it, it leads in exactly what Ben said. Yes. When you throw technology like that, it, they're always going to say that's one more thing on our plate. Right. And that, it's essential. All departments in a district talk to one another. And when they are delivering their PD, right, you have science PD for NGSS, you have AVID PD, you have uh, all these other PDs, you know, you have to talk to these departments to say, hey, look, I don't want to give a just technology specific PD. I want to implement technology in your NGSS. I want to implement technology in your common core. That and so no longer is technology another thing on their plate. Technology is the plate. It's the way all PD is being delivered, so it doesn't seem like one more thing. Yeah, I agree 100%. The tortilla. It's the tortilla. It's the tortilla, yes. It uh, wraps around everything. There we go. Make the best uh, PD burrito, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's a, you know, I've been in – I've been guilty of presenting sessions uh, for teachers and for students where it's just pure lecture. It's just all me talking. Um, I've even had like static slides. I still remember one of my first presentations was just, you know, here's a screenshot of, you know, what it should look like. And I never gave the teachers a chance to actually um, build something or make something in their particular area of expertise. And then I've moved you know, into the world of, all right, this is a PD day, but this is your PD day. This is your chance to build something. I'm going to show you some cool things that it's, you know, the tool can you do, but eventually you're going to make this into your own. Uh, so if I do an animation session, it's like, you know, here's the basics of animation. Now apply it to something in language arts or, you know, what would you have your students do? And then you walk out of the session with that. So I think PD has to change a little bit too. It can't be a full lecture you know, the instructor person up there in the front who's supposed to be an expert just imparting knowledge. I tune out the second someone just starts talking for a long time. Um, I think PD needs to be hands-on just like our classrooms. Yeah, and Corey, you know, what you said right now, that's, like, amazing that they take it and make it their own. Um, so I'm always pushing 3D printing, but I always tell them, just learn how to use the tool, and you're going to do what you want with it. Yeah. Um, what Ben's doing with SiteWorks, um, asked you to come up and kind of like smugly asked me one time at one of the playgrounds, oh, well, how do you apply to history? I'm like, where are you at in history right now? World War II. We just typed in World War II. Yep. She's like, wait, is that a this tank? And all the, wait, 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 let me see this. She goes, you know what? We could recreate this. And she got all into it. And she's like, I need one now. Yep. Well, I, I used a, that's good. Yeah. And, and like, uh, there's, um, I can't remember, David Norman, I think that's his last name on Twitter. He spent like weeks printing out molecules pieces that mm -hmm. snapped together. He's like, all right, kids, here you go. I printed these for you guys. Now make these molecules. Yeah, I did and that for it, science. It's powerful. So he yeah. took it into science. I was like, what? And he never mentioned that. I never asked, mate, what are you doing with it? He was just printing stuff out like at home. And I talked to him later, and I was like, dude, that's amazing. You know, look. So I, I started my, all my PDs now with a slide from, uh, with a quote from uh, John Ike. Um, the tool is only as good as the hand that wraps around it. And I think that we need to present that to the teachers. Like, you know, hey, these are tools. Okay, we're not going to deny that. These are tools. But the hand that wraps around it is going to make these great things. I mean, I can take a hammer and do some horrible things to my house, or I can build a beautiful thing. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of fun. 
you know, and, and speaking of tools, right? Like I always, I always tell teachers that we're the biggest tools, right? So they can use this as much as possible. But, but what you're talking about is absolutely right because, I mean, you can you can go to Lowe's and you can buy the best hammer ever. You can go to Lowe's and you buy that hammer that has the best reviews, five stars. Oh, this is the best hammer ever. And then you give it to somebody who's never used a hammer and they just put holes in the wall, yep. right? And so the idea that a good teacher, right, with bad technology, so the worst hammer, it's, it's still going to do something good with it, right? If you buy a hammer that's that's very low in reviews, but it's a, it's a good, it's a good, uh, a good craftsman, they're going to make something good with it no matter what. But if you have a bad craftsman who's never used a hammer and then the best hammer, you're going to get crap. So, you know, I, I go to a lot of discussions uh, nowadays about devices and what's the best device? What's what's this? What's that? And the discussion be, what do we want our teachers to do? What is the ability of our teacher? And if it's not the ability we want, what PD can we do first to get them to the level of that good craftsman? And then we can discuss giving them the tool, yep. right? And so that's the discussion that needs to happen. And so just Kyle, just like you said earlier, it's laying the groundwork. It's laying the foundation. It's not giving them these things and then expecting them to learn it on their own or go to various trainings to learn how to use it. When they get it, they should their eyes should open up with all the possibilities that can be done with it. Yep. When, when I was getting my master's uh, a few years back, I, I, I was tasked with making a little mini documentary. I'm like, what am I going to make this on? And I got it on the idea of the Fushigi effect, right? And, and the idea was, you know, when I got a Fushigi, I thought it was, a, I saw these commercials, it's amazing, I got a Fushigi, and all it was was a round ball that like did nothing, and I couldn't figure out how to use it. And so teachers are given these devices and at first they may be excited, but they don't know how to use it. And they end up just putting it back in the box because they're upset. Because first use inspires future use. And if that first time they use it, they don't know how to, that frustration is going to spill over to the rest of the use of that tool. So that tool will no longer bring them joy. Right? Well, the, the, in the classroom, too. That out. You know, if I'm going to teach uh, animation how to animate, I'm not going to give them the assignments for the final you know, the animated final, I want to make a bouncing ball. Just make a bouncing ball, change colors, you know, squash it, you know, stuff like that. Say, so learn the basics of whatever I'm trying to teach them. And then we go into the, hey, guess what we're going to do now? We're going to animate our timelines. Um, 3D modeling. Hey, build something, anything you want. Um, here's Tinkercad. Here's, you know, SketchUp, whatever. You just build a fun thing just to get them excited, enthusiastic. We need that for teachers, too. Yep. I, I call that Mr. Miyagiing them. There you I go. Make them do all these things that have nothing to do with the, the content. And then in the end, now let's yeah. do it. Oh, you know how to do it. Because Mr. Miyagi then. Yeah. I do that in my PD when I'm talking about extensions. The first extension I always show my teachers is the Honey extension for Amazon so that they understand what an extension does, right? It extends the capability of something you're already using. And so when they get the idea, oh, Honey helps me. Now let me show you things that will other extensions that will help you in the classroom and help your students in the classroom. So I miss Jimiyagi, my teachers as well. So, I mean, we talk about how, you know, it's up to the districts to, you know, provide this training, whatever, too. But as educational and educational technology leaders that we are in this group and for many of our listeners as well, it's up to us to be the ones that can pass along that passion and those skills as well. So going back to your analogy about a craftsman, Joe, 
where somebody using a hammer might not be very good at it. You know, going back to that one, anybody that's good with tools and can build beautiful things had an inspiration at one point. They didn't just wake up one day and they were good at it. So many times it was a parent that inspired them, an uncle or whatever, to where eventually they toyed around with stuff as a kid, as a teenager, and got good at stuff. Or they eventually went off to a trade school and learned how to use those tools, and now they're a carpenter, they're a mason, whatever it may be. It's the same thing in our classrooms, in our schools, where if we're really good with something and we know that somebody's not, it's not walking in and just trying to shove it down their throat. Hey, you need to start doing this. Okay, you provide them with the why, you show them some things that you're doing with it to try to inspire them. And as they get inspired, they start to do some stuff with it. And then eventually they're one of the technology leaders as well. Okay, case in point, me, I wasn't great with technology when I first became a teacher, but I started toying around with some stuff. And then eventually one day, not even realizing that I guess I was that good with the stuff, I get asked by my district to do a presentation on some things and that kind of opened the floodgates and I am where I am now today as a result of that. So it's not just the districts that have to do this. We as technology leaders have to be that inspiration as well. Yeah, I think they got to see it and um, kind of to, to go off on how, you know, Corey, you mentioned, oh, we'll just do this, just do that. It's the same thing I do with bureaus. Like, I'm all right here, please. And they're like, okay, so we're going to program. I'm like, no, just use the joystick idea how it handles. And it's like 10 minutes of them just playing with it like that. And they're like, but I thought we had to do like this math and measure. I'm like, no, not yet. Just, just figure out how it works. And they go and they play with them. And then they figure out angles because I have them line up in different spots. And then I go put like a little figure in. I'm like, all right, you guys got to knock over the bad guy over there. But from where you're sitting. So some of you go in a straight line, some of you are going to go at this angle. So I started using the, the right language. And I think if I had hit them over the head with, okay, you're going to learn about this first, they're going to go, eh, I thought I was going to get to do something cool. And kind of to, to build off of that too, um, like we had a little presentation in a nearby district and we had parents come in and they saw 3D printers running and we had uh, HTC Vives set up. Um, that that's, that principal's like all in. She's like, we got to have this stuff. She goes, Parents are going to try it out. And we had kids like jumping up and down. No, please, please. And the parents were kind of hesitant. And then one parent finally, you know, went up there and used it and drew something on, on tilt brush. And she started talking about, well, the kids could do this. The kids could do that. They could present this. And they just kept talking about what the kids could do. And I think when you just have them like, here, just, just use it. You know, this is how you use it. Real basic stuff. There's more advanced stuff, but we'll get to that later. Um, even with, you know, adults and kids, I think once they get a taste for it, they're like, Hey, I like this. All right, guess what? You can do this now. And we can kind of blend in the learning part and they don't even know that they're learning that stuff. Very good. And you know, more things before we kind of round this discussion out, uh, the, the first episode of our classroom trilogy was on class sizes. So I, I want to pose this question to the group. How can a one-to-one -one initiative, once it's successfully rolled out, once the devices are in the hands of educators and they're willing to use them, how can uh, devices help teachers who feel that their classes are overcrowded? How can devices help teachers? Because if, if we can't figure out the classroom uh, problem, if, if you're still going to get 40, 41 kids in your class, no matter what, how can devices help alleviate some of that pressure from all those students being in the classroom. 
because a lot of teachers may say, you know what, I have 40 kids, that's 40 devices I have to manage, that's a lot of work. How can devices help them and, 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 and ensure that those class sizes can be managed with these devices? I think, just, oh, go ahead. You're not exaggerating with those numbers because I had 35 last year. So listeners are like, well, I always have like 23. How, how are people getting so many kids? No, I had 35. This year I have 29 and I'm happy. But with 35, I mean, yeah, I mean, it is not an exaggeration. So, so Kyle, go ahead. You, you were saying something. Oh, I was just going to say that with the devices, it just makes differentiating for 40 students and being able to help those that need extra help, but at the same time being able to provide something for students to be able to do and to learn from that don't need the help is a lot harder without the technology. The technology allows you to differentiate a lot easier in my opinion. And that way you can spend the time with that five or six kids that need the extra help. But at the same time, those other five or six kids that are way ahead of everybody else, they're not just sitting there bored. So it just, to me, it's more, it's a time saver and a differentiation maker using the technology um, and and just the details of managing them i mean that you're gonna have to do that regardless you're gonna have to manage something regardless i mean uh, you know whether it's technology or whether it's wrangling a bunch of paper if you don't have the technology i still remember back in the day i had uh, five different versions of a test uh, three page tests multiple choice fill in the blanks whatever um, same kind of management, I, but now it's all digital. So I can actually scroll through and look at all of them through Google Classroom. I can send out private comments a lot faster. So I think this just speeds up the communication process uh, between teacher and student. So no matter how big my classes are, um, I'm able to you know, give them those private comments, give them the feedback they need. No matter what tool I use, um, they're all getting really good at um, the actual communication and uh, returning stuff and things like that. So I think it's all digital, um, just management in a different way. And I now have two cases of paper left over because I have, I don't print anymore. Yeah. And you know, that, that feedback loop that you're referring to is in incredibly important, right? Because, you know, traditionally, if you're doing things with pencil and paper, you don't, you don't see the knowledge of the student until they turn it in, you collect them all, you go and you start grading them and then you start writing on them. And it's it, that feedback loop takes too much, too long of a time. And so for me, technology allows me to, to uh, increase the, uh, or decrease the amount of time needed for that feedback loop to take place. And it takes place during the course of instruction, not after the fact. Studies have shown that once students hit submit or once students turn something in, they're done with the assignment most likely, right? You can put as much red ink on that paper as you want. That you're going to give it back. They're like, eh, I got to see, I got to see, whatever. But if you can go into an assignment and leave comments, say, hey, change this, change that, before anything's turned in, they will change it. They will know what they did wrong. They will remember that, and it lasts longer. And so I always put technology kind of through a filter called inspect, redirect, make correct. Any technology that I use in class should allow myself, the instructor, to inspect my student's knowledge or work whenever I want, not after the fact. It should allow me to see the analytics of the entire classroom coming in so that I can redirect the class in the correct direction if they are getting it wrong so that they aren't going down this path in the, in, with the wrong idea um, and taking that home with them. And then finally, because the technology allows that feedback loop to be sped up, it gives us time as instructors to make those corrections in the minds of our students now, not later. 
So by, by filtering inspect, redirect, make correct through the lens of technology, I think that it truly enhances a classroom and it really helps us manage those larger classes, but still gives a voice to every single one of those students in the room. Well, that's what I was going to say too, is like, I was that student that sat in the corner, man, when you called on me, I shut down. I did not want to be called on, you know, teacher could come over and talk to me. I didn't like it because I was, I didn't want to be singled out. Um, I think this technology and uh, a one-to-one uh, setting definitely enhances those students who know the material, but have a hard time actually expressing it um, through comments, through the work that they do on that screen that no one else can see. They can express themselves a lot more than saying, okay, we're all going to do a, a round the table reading of this text. And man, when it came to me, I was petrified to have to read out loud. Um, and so I think technology does that for us. It gives those kids that voice, like you said, Joe, it's just, it's powerful. It gives a voice to the voiceless, absolutely. Yep. And one, one last thing uh, b- b- before we wrap up. We still have some teachers that after this push by the district, after this excitement happens, you're still going to get teachers that are like, nope, I've been doing, I've been teaching for 20, 25 years. I've had great students, great responses. I have great test scores. I'm not going to change. Technology is not going to make my students any better. The test scores aren't going to go up. I'm going to keep doing what I'm already doing, right? And, and sometimes because of these teachers, you have technology directors that make a joke, and that joke is, you know, oh, innovation in our district happens one retirement at a time, right? And I always say to them, we can't think that way. Every teacher has the ability to change. We just have to figure out what we can do and say to spark that idea of change and how it's going to affect our students. So I want to put it to the group. What would you say to those teachers to get them to see the benefit of technology? And or what what is one thing you would show them that technology can do to change their mind? So... Um, I don't know if you guys know him, Lucio Padilla. He's over here near me, Calexico uh, Unified School District. Um, follow him on Twitter. He's, he's a good guy to follow. Um, he had a parent workshop. It was it was very impressive. I saw the flyer. I wanted to attend it. I couldn't. We had something else at Mexico uh, the same evening. And the flyer had a question on it and asked the parent, you know what, the world's changing. What does success look like? And... Yeah, I get it. you know, we gotta have great test scores, we gotta have great testing and testing and numbers and that. But if you ask teachers, they're gonna tell you, well, these kids are not just numbers. Um but that question I think is a great way to lead into a discussion of technology. You know, well, what is success? Is it a, being a good test taker? Is it being a good note taker? Or is it someone that can take something and make something out of it. I mean, I have a sixth grader. Well, he was my sixth grader last year. He's in seventh grade now. Uh, he's on his third 3D printer. And he bought the third one himself by printing stuff out. He, he took stuff to school, showed it off to friends. And people were like, hey, can you make me one? I'll pay you for it. And he bought a better printer than the one I have right now. And it's a do-it-yourself, so he saves some money there. He comes and he learns from me some more and, and all that. But in a year or two, he's going to surpass me easily. That kid's not going to struggle anymore. He's going to be successful because he knows how to think and say, you know what? I want to take this. I'm interested in it. I'm passionate about it. Now I'm going to make money with it, which is not about making money, but he's going to be able to take care of himself doing something that he loves to do. So my question would be, okay, you have great test scores and all that, but what are your kids passionate about? 
if that teacher can after that, I'm not saying they shouldn't be teaching, but okay, so what are you doing to get these kids excited about life? Like, what are they going to do when they grow up? Be test takers? Great note takers? Um, that would be my way to ask, like, well, what do you think success looks like? And I know, you know, a veteran teacher might look at me and say, well, you've been teaching five years. What, you know, what do you know? I just asking a question. You're older. You've been teaching longer. What do you think it looks like? Has it has, has the definition of success changed in these 20 years you've been teaching? That would be my question. Not as a disrespectful question, but really, what do you think it looks like after being in the game so long? Yeah, I agree. Um, I've been teaching 25 years, so I, I'm, uh, I'm one of those. Um, I, I'm, I'm a long-term teacher. I've been doing it since I was, you know, I won't say how old. Um, <laughs> um, but no, I, I agree. I, I think that, you know, it's a mindset. Um, I've seen in my classroom the students changing over the years. Uh, I was the guilty teacher of, you know, worksheets after worksheets, you know, textbook after textbook, reading the pages, answering the questions. Um, and I just I tell people, I just took a leap of faith. I, I've always been in, you know, technology. I, I love computers, but um, I think just taking that leap of faith and seeing the benefit for those students, so like you said, you know, um, I saw a student um, who was just like me. Um, didn't take tests very well, couldn't write paragraphs, you know, was, was struggling, struggling, struggling. And um, I think it was, it was a middle school. And, you know, I learned how to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then um, I said, you know, what do you want to try to do? Um, how do you want to show me that you learned? Um, he's like, can I do this? And I'm like, sure, why not? And I think that that's got me on the road. Like, let him try to animate something versus writing a paragraph. And he was able to correctly identify the entire cell division process through an animation process, um, through an animation. And he passed the final for the first time he passed a final, um, you know, red ink on all of his language arts papers, but he passed my class because of that. I think that what's inspired me was to, you know, learn as much as I could about technology and try to inspire my students to, you know, find a passion find something they're interested in and learn all they can about it. Because uh, if it's if it's important to you, you're going to find a way to do it. If it's not, you're going to find an excuse. And I think that's the same with teachers, too. If you're really interested in it, you're going to find a way. You're going to learn. You're going to go to PDs. You're going to, you know, bug your principal. If not, it's the excuse. Ask. It's too hard. It's not enough. I don't have this. I don't have that. It's an excuse. So that just means you're not interested. Okay, um, let's, I'll try to inspire you a different way. And for me, it's more of just um, I, I take kind of a passive-aggressive approach where rather than getting on somebody saying, like, you should do this, you should do that, or whatever, I just show them examples of stuff that I'm doing that is successful for me and my students. And um, the guy that I co-teach with um, – He'll be the first one to tell you that he's he's kind of old school. He's a tech idiot in his words. But I've seen from the beginning of the school year where he barely would turn on his computer to do anything other than attendance to where now he's asking me for the stuff that we do in our class, how he can do that in his other classes. So, for example, like when we do the Paradeck Flashcard Factory and then do the quiz quizzes and the Quizlet um, flashcards and everything, He's asked me how to do that in the other classes. So so I've inspired him to do that. But with outside of him, I just show people stuff. 
just this is because some of the stuff that I'm doing, I'm having success with this. And, you know, it's not going to be an overnight process, you know, where all of a sudden somebody's going to wake up one day and just want to change the world in that fashion, whatever. It's going to be something that's going to take some time, kind of like it's been with my co-teacher. But if I can do that with one or two people at a time, then I feel good about that. You know, and it's the same thing, that old adage with your students, you know, if, um, if one student comes back to see you later on, you change at least one life, you know, and it's the same thing here where if I can inspire somebody to change something about their way they teach, something that's more relevant, something that's successful for students, then I'm cool with that. I don't need to change 100 minds. If I can change one, I'm okay with that. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I always like to just, you know, look at the teacher and remind them we're here for the kids. And I know what you're doing is for the students. And, and, and sometimes I see that what's holding people back is fear, right? Fear that if they try to change, they're not gonna be the best teacher for their kids because they're doing something new. And so I always tell teachers, I go, you shouldn't have fear of change. You shouldn't have fear of technology. You shouldn't have fear of the unknown. You definitely shouldn't have fear of losing relevance, right? You shouldn't have fear of becoming obsolete in your school because there's one fact that should overcome all of that fear. And that fear is that you, teachers listening, are amazing. You are an amazing teacher. You are an amazing educator. That's why you are where you are. And you should always know that because you're a teacher, because you're changing lives of students, you will always be relevant. And that is the only fact you should know. That should be the fact that empowers you to overcome every inkling of fear that you may have in trying something new. And I tell them all the time, I say, look, you may have been teaching for 20, 25 years. You may have seen thousands of kids in your career. But every year, when you walk into that class on the first day of school, that is the first time those kids get to see you. And it should be the best you you can possibly be. Not the you who is doing the same thing year after year. The you that is willing to change because our students are changing and their expectations are changing and jobs are changing. So we shouldn't be teaching them for the benefit of test scores. We should be teaching them for the benefit of being relevant in the college and career market in 20 and 25 years, which we don't know what it's going to be. But we do know technology is going to be involved, so they need to be savvy in knowing how to utilize these devices. And I always say, if not now, meaning if not with you, then when? When they get to college and they're left on their own? If not now, then when? That's what I think is the important thing. We need to get our kids ready for this next generation. I mean, think about it. The kids in a kindergarten today graduate in 2035. Okay, 2035. That seems like a long time away. That's 15 years away. Okay, but rewind time 15 years ago. There was no, I mean, Amazon was around, but it wasn't as huge as it was. Social media wasn't as big as it was. Things have changed so much in the past 15 years, we can't be preparing the kids now for what, what, what's now. We have to be preparing them for what's coming. And so as educators, we have to constantly be changing. 
We have to be able to be a malleable educator and change and go with the flow. And I think that is what is incredibly important. If not but now, education when... field. I mean, that's that's education right there. I mean, that is what we got into this for, you know, to never be that 30 year teacher that does the same lesson on the same day with the same things. Uh, I think educators nowadays are, you know, malleable and they're excited and enthusiastic. So, you know, great, great summary there, Joe. Yeah. And I mean, we want kids to be flexible. We want them to learn several hundred things over, you know, 13 years in school. And we're teaching 20 years, oh, but I'm not going to change those 20 years. And that doesn't make sense. It's, you know, everything's changing. And for us to say, you know what, nope, I'm walking this path and that's it then we're going to leave a lot of kids out. And even the ones that are, you know, successful, of course I'm not, um, are they really going to be successful? Are we setting them up for the world that's out there or the world of, you know, pencil and paper that, you know, they got great test scores? Um, that's, that's the question, you know. What are we doing to get them ready? Because as teachers, we got to look ahead at what's coming in five years because we got to get them ready especially once they hit high school, you know, are they ready to be out there in the real world? What are we teaching them about being in the real world? And if, it, if they go out there and they're like, I don't know how to get a loan, I don't know how to do this other stuff, we didn't get them ready. Because I know their parents are supposed to do a large chunk of it, but they're with us, you know, six, seven, eight hours a day. So we're those other parents, we gotta be showing them a lot of different things. And if we're like, nope, we're gonna do it like 20 years ago, well, 20 years ago, there was no tablets, there was no iPhone. So what are we doing? You know, we're, we're holding them back. And Kyle? If not now, when? I think is a great question to kind of wrap up this whole thing. It's just a great way to have our listeners really just kind of ponder and then just think of the next step on how they're going to change the world at this point. So this was an amazing conversation, guys. I cannot believe that we've been talking for almost an hour. That it did oh, not it did. seem like an hour. Nope, not at all. So, so just, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I love having these conversations and I, I cannot wait to have the next one just because I know I'm going to be that much better after having this conversation. I hope our listeners feel the same way listening to us. And, you know, let's wrapping out this entire trilogy that we had, you know, on, on class sizes, on enrichment activities, and now on one-to-one -one rollouts, you know, just reminding everybody, we don't have all the answers. Right, But I, I also want you to remember, and I'm putting on my science teacher's hat, uh, that solutions are a mixture. And solutions are a mixture. And so a solution in the real world is a mixture of ideas from people who just want to make a difference. So by, by us talking and by everybody listening, you are part of the solution because you are part of a mixture of answers that we want. So we want to hear from you. We want you to, uh, to tweet at us at Sons of Tech EDU. We want you to get a hold of us. We want you to share this podcast because as you hopefully you, you, you get this from our conversations, we love teachers. We love students. We love educators. We just want to share our love of, of change because we know that it needs to happen and it doesn't happen always fast. And one of my favorite quotes is from Nelson Mandela. It always seems impossible until it's done. So let's keep fighting, gentlemen and, and, and ladies. Let's keep fighting for education to change. 
Because even though it may seem impossible, one day it will be done. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to our roundtable. We're going to put everybody's names and Twitter handles in the notes. Um, and, and Kyle, you know, just because you have the best radio voice of us all, I would love you if you can close us out. All right. Well, thank you for that compliment. I appreciate that. So until next time, everybody, we want you to ditch that fear, take a risk, and enjoy that ride. Have a good one. Absolutely.